Greetings, HJD listeners, and welcome to our final episode of Season 1. I want to begin by thanking you for journeying with us throughout this first season of ministry in this format. Thank you also for your patience in waiting for this final episode. I want to end our first season with something of a summary reflection on where we've been as we look forward to season two. This podcast represents another iteration in the work and ministry of Healing Jephthah's Daughters. As we said in the first episode, This work and ministry was born out of my own experience and journey with my relationship with my father and this text that has helped me heal from the negative effects of that relationship and become the best version of myself and to live a balanced, healthy, robust life. What were and continue to be our hopes and goals? First, that listeners would join and journey with us with a text that never appears in the lectionary. A text that is infrequently, if ever, taught or preached. And a text that is fraught with drama and tragedy. Second, that some listeners would join and journey with us as they explore their own woundedness as a result of their relationship with their fathers specifically and parents broadly that listeners would be gently invited or led or even gently prodded to engage their own healing journey and that our work and conversations would help them to do so. Third, that fathers specifically and parents broadly would be open enough to hear the story and begin to interrogate their role in the current state of affairs of their own relationships with their children and their own parents perhaps being able to glean some insights, draw some lines, and identify some patterns that will help them to be better parents to their children, better children to their own parents, and better to themselves. This text has been percolating for the last 30 years, and its fruit has emerged over the last decade in various ministry contexts and settings. This podcast is not solely and strictly biblical studies, exegetical, or hermeneutical examination of Judges 11. However, in an attempt to be faithful to the biblical text, we have and will continue to engage biblical scholars to understand the context of the text. Thus, our threefold approach employs biblical studies, family systems theory, and a narrative lens to engage and examine the text. We have done this through conversations with professionals in their respective fields. We have also had conversations with children, grown daughters and sons reflecting on their own experiences of being children, and in some cases parents, exploring the harm, intentional and unintentional, that parents can cause. And our starting point with the daughter was intentional. Freedom, healing, and wholeness is the goal. And so one of the things we were intentional to do was to disrupt what has historically been and continues to be oppressive and privileged. White, male, patriarchal entries into and interpretations of biblical texts in ways that instrumentalize, diminish, silence, and erase women 
Black women specifically, women of color broadly, and humans who identify as women even more broadly. So we began our discussion with the daughter, Jephthah's daughter, because daughters specifically and children broadly are the focus of this work. JD, we will call her for short, is not dispensable or expendable. Her value is not based on her function or utility. She has potential and gifts and value that go far beyond her ability to give birth and raise children and take care of men and family. So we begin with her and we center her because traditional white male patriarchal exegesis, interpretation, and hermeneutics will have J.D. silent, inconsequential, and living out her days as a single woman in the temple rather than a smart, savvy young woman with a voice and intellect and gumption who advocates for herself and has a community of women who care for and support her and remember her in spite of and not because of the decision she makes in the end. We talked about story and the power of story. It's sometimes hard to begin your healing journey with your own pain. Oftentimes, books, movies, novels are the living room windows through which we can safely enter and see our story and our pain reflected back to us. Story often makes it easier to begin the healing journey. And in situating Jephthah's daughter's story, in beginning to peel back the layers of the narrative onion, we are first confronted with a disturbing dissonance. The places that are often supposed to be and presumed to be safe, like home, are not often safe in every way. Homes that may be physically safe may not necessarily be emotionally or psychologically safe. So is there a way in which Mizpah is supposed to like protect Israel or protect? Well, well any of these, I mean, uh, home is in Mizpah, right? So he would live within, uh, there's some sense that he would live within the, the city gates, within this fortified city. Ah, okay. Um, and so, yeah, he should understand it as a, as a place of belonging and as a place of security. But just because he understands it that way doesn't mean that we should assume that that his daughter gets to. All right, so we've got Mizpah. My other question is the second half of verse 34. There was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and with dancing. Can you tell us about the expectations of women after men return from war? Well, so this is why I kind of feel like I don't mess with Jephthah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't mess with Jephthah because when he made the vow, he knew it had to be his daughter. Mm, okay, okay. When men go out to war, it is always the women in their household who come out to greet them when they come back. So, of course, the first person you would see when you came back was your daughter. So you made a vow that very clearly, very logically meant that you knew you were offering up your own daughter. Okay, hit pause there. Mm -hmm. We discussed formation and social location. How family of origin, our ethnic background, our culture, our faith traditions, and all the media form and inform our beliefs and behaviors and how some of the messages of one or more can conflict with one or more of the others. 
and how some or all of those can be at odds with, in conflict with, the expectations we have learned, internalized, and inherited from our fathers and our families. My good girlfriends and I had a few conversations about how to psychologically and spiritually examine and detangle ourselves from some beliefs and behaviors that have not served us well because we've recognized and had to free ourselves from expectations that would have killed us. On varying levels and at different periods in our lives, we were fighting for our lives, fighting to breathe, fighting to live, and thank God we made it to the other side and are in much better places for having done our hard, holy, heavy healing work. Thanks be to God. We talked about being grown daughters and understanding our parents differently, even more clearly through the rearview mirror of adulthood. Understanding that our parents too carry their own wounds, their own stories but in a different generational context that informed their own parenting and situated them differently, less freely, I might add, to discuss and work through what we, their children, do so relatively freely. And so, Adrian, when you talk about the complexity of parenting, like they do this and they intend this, but they want to do something else. I don't know if you're challenging me to have more compassion for Jephthah or my father, to be quite frank. I don't think anybody's challenged you to do a thing. Well, no, Adrian's taking a head. Yeah, and I'm going, no, ma'am, not today. That's cute. I'll take that into my spiritual director. But it is a challenge. It is a challenge. That's why you picked this text, right? No, the text picked me. But why did the text pick you? It's not neutral. I'd be watching Animaniacs, girl. I wouldn't be reading this stuff. (laughs) So I'm just working this out because you were saying for me that the way I see what I see is because I sit between my dad and my daughter. But I think a lot of this for me started getting worked out before Petal got here. Mm. And it was in therapy Mm. talking about my parental stuff and my family of origin stuff and seminary and having to deal with all of those family systems theories. When you start thinking about the family as a web and how, you know, you pull on this thread and all of that stuff starts to vibrate. Learning that stuff and then being so grateful that my father and my mother were still alive so that I could go back and say, hey, remember when y'all did? Mm. And my mom saying things like, girl, I don't remember what you're talking about. And, and where the child wisdom comes in or me having a child wisdom comes in is when I became my mother's age. And then I thought, oh my God, my mother had four children under the age of six within five years. And she was like 20 something and she was working full time. I was like, it's a wonder she didn't kill us. I got one child and I want to leave her under a bush and run away some days, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, here you are. So then when you get to the point where you, you know, as a 20-year-old in college, I'm thinking, oh, my parents, oh, my parents, and they didn't love me and my mother didn't. And then you go back and talk to them and they're like, I don't remember what you're talking about. I did the best that I could. I'm like, oh, that's a cop out, right? Oh, that's a cop out. My mother can't, my dad can't own, oh, they can't own their stuff. So for my dad, my dad just turned 80 last week. And this is what I want to say about Jephthah. What I'm working out is, so, and I don't want to make the killing of JD metaphorical, but I think there's some killing that gets done to kids, perhaps, because parents are stressed out of their minds. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's a piece of it. Mm -hmm. So the metaphorical killing that I could say, oh, my dad killed me when he did this thing to me. Like he would put the newspaper up and I'm trying to pour out my heart and he's 
ignoring me. And that still triggers me to this day. He probably does not even remember that. But then thank God he's lived long enough that I then can go back and have that conversation with him and he can confess, I have regrets. Mm. I wish I had done it this way. Many of our parents grew up thinking that therapy was for rich folk, for white folk, or for rich white folk, and that you didn't discuss your business with strangers or anyone outside the house. All this processing stuff that we do was unthinkable to them. But each generation, I believe, grows into deeper levels of awareness and healing. So we tackle our pain and our health differently from our parents. And the insights we are blessed and privileged enough to glean and gain allow us to explain, not excuse, our parents' behavior. For those of us fortunate enough to have living parents and know some part of their story. For those of us whose parents are no longer living or for whom we don't know their story, the healing process is a bit different. But we can all reflect on the effects of our parents' parenting on us remembering that even absence has an effect. We ended our season discussing grief and talking to a father about his relationship with his mother, his father, and one of his own daughters, then to open the camera lens back to discuss grief broadly and to understand the human nature of grief and how expressions of grief transcend gender stereotypes. It's been a rich and robust season one. So we hope you will rejoin us this September for season two. And we ask you to share this with people in your many networks, people you think may be interested in and may even benefit and be encouraged by the work we do here. Thank you so very much for co-journeying with us through this first season of Healing Jephthah's Daughters, the podcast. We have heard from some of you and are appreciative of your taking the time to reach out and share how this podcast has been helpful and a blessing to you. We invite you to subscribe in the podcast platform of your choice and turn on notifications so that you will be alerted when season two begins. Now, because we are on summer hiatus, that does not mean your work stops. Here are my closing invitation and exhortations to you. Remember not to wait for an apology from your father or parent before doing your healing work. It may be an apology you will never get. Remember that healing is not linear, but it meanders and ebbs and flows. And even sometimes it may feel like you've gone backwards, but you are still making progress. Remember that healing is done at your own pace, and that pace is not the same from day to day, week to week, or month to month. Remember that you can reposition people and reorient relationships. People will be okay, or they won't, but neither is your concern or your problem. Remember that more than one thing can be true at the same time. Your experience of your parent will not be the same as someone else's experience, and both experiences are valid and can be true. And finally, Remember to rest and reflect. Take time this summer to do good, intentional self-care regularly. Whatever is good for you, body, mind, and spirit. 
remember to be intentional to do that good self-care work regularly. Healing is hard work. Healing is heavy work. Healing is holy work. And all of the benefits are worth the work. My prayer for you now and always is freedom, healing, and wholeness.